Where do you go when you're in a great deal of trouble or in distress? If you're in a time of trouble and you go to a bar to an unbeliever, where will that take you? Probably not too far in the things of God. Or, or you go and you hang out, maybe it's not even in a bar or to a, a man that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you go to, you know, to the gym and then you hook up with somebody and connect with somebody that has no heart for the things of God. You know, it, I, I, what I'm saying is this. Hezekiah was wise to not only go to the place of worship, but to send for a wise man. He was sending for a man of God, no matter what he would say. And it's always good for us to be in a place where there's worship and we're gaining wisdom from men and women of God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Wouldn't you agree, oftentimes when we're in a time of need, we run to the wrong place or people for help? But today on Abounding Grace, we'll be encouraged by a king who responded to a crisis the right way. He goes to the house of the Lord and also a man of God. That's exactly what we should do too. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Kings 19. Chapter 19, and if you'd like to get ahead, go to Philippians chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 19, and Philippians chapter 4, in a Bible study I've entitled, Take It to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. You know, we're studying the life of King Hezekiah, one of the best kings that ever lived of both Judah and Israel. Even though, as we learned last time, he wasn't a perfect king, and I think that's an encouragement to us because we're not perfect either. And yet the banner of our life can still be as a man or a woman that served God well uh, with all of our mistakes. And I'm grateful. I, I look at it in my own life as I compare my own life and where I am now compared to the people that God used. And I'm grateful that God uses me. And I'm grateful that God uses you, even though I do make mistakes. Do you make mistakes? Is there any mistakes in the house? Give me an amen. amen. Of course there is. And so the Bible says in Isaiah 25, verse 1, O Lord, you're my God, and I will exalt you, and I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, and your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And so anything good that comes out of our lives, God gets the credit. Anything bad that comes out of our lives, we take responsibility for that and ask the Lord to help us. So notice in verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 19, it says, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. This was a good decision. The enemy is coming. The attack is imminent. And he takes the place of humility. The tearing of the clothes was symbolic of humility. And he goes into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, to the son of Amos. And they said to him, verse 3, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the, children have, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. 
It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants, verse 5, of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, and with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So King Hezekiah's response to crisis and imminent warfare is twofold. Number one, he goes to the house of the Lord. Now, don't you know by now that when you set your heart toward the things of God, that God meets you there? Because think of the options, just even in this evening, think of the options, and even on the radio or with your computer open, of all the different choices you could make. Uh, Let's say that you had 10 choices, and one of them is toward God, and nine of them is away from God. And I'm not even saying that the nine are necessarily sinful, just not in the way that would bring you to a place of spiritual thought, bring you to the place of spiritual submission. It wouldn't be spiritual at all. And so because you've chosen, because we've chosen to set our eyes upon the Lord and even gather together, you'll be blessed that you came. God will honor his word in your life. That that God has a word for you even in this moment that you're listening to the Bible study, in this section of the Bible, and in the illustrations that will be brought forth, and the things that God has for you. So going to, number one, to the temple, to the house of God, and number two, to a man of God. Because think about it. Let's just throw out another option here. If you're in a time of trouble and you go to a bar to an unbeliever, where will that take you? Probably not too far in the things of God. Or or you go and you hang out, maybe it's not even in a bar to a, a, a man that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe you go to, you know, to the gym. And, and then you hook up with somebody and connect with somebody that, that has no heart for the things of God. You know, it, I, what I'm saying is this. Hezekiah was wise to not only go to the place of worship, but to send for a wise man. He was sending for a man of God, no matter what he would say. And it's always good for us to be in a place where there's worship and we're gaining wisdom from men and women of God. Why? Because the Bible says, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And it is a deception at times where we run to the wrong place and to the wrong people for help in time of need. And may the Lord teach us. What a great decision this is because Isaiah gives him a word. He says, it's going to be okay. Trust God. It's going to be okay. Trust God. And he says three things are going to happen. Did you notice? Three things. So he gives them very specific. So trust God. And then he gives them very three specific things. Notice, he says, Isaiah tells him, he says, don't be afraid of the words which you have heard. This is verse 6. With which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And then verse 7, he tells him, I'm going to send a spirit, number one, upon him. Number two, he's going to hear a rumor. And number three, He's going to call, I'm going to cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now, we're going to read the rest of the chapter where these things take place. But just to give you a little heads up, number one, I think that that spirit that's coming is probably the death of 185,000 people by an angel. Notice in verse 35, it says, It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out, killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 people. Now, I would, I would be encouraged in war if an angel wiped out 185,000 people. 
And so Isaiah is saying, don't worry about it. Secondly, he's going to get a rumor, which I think back is in verse 9, this rumor about Ethiopia coming to distract him. And then thirdly, the sword. And we see in verse 37 that it came to pass as he was worshiping, and this is the king of Assyria, in the temple of Nisroch, his god, little g, that his sons Adaramelech, <laughs> you know his name, their names, struck him down with what? The sword. One of the foundational things that God has given to us to base our lives upon is his promises, his word. Building our lives upon the solid foundation of his word. That if you look back on history, I know, I know some things are unsettled in your life today. I know some questions are unanswered. I know some pain exists. I know some worries and anxieties surround us. But if we look back throughout the scriptures, the overarching testimony of God is that he has kept his promise to everyone that's come before us. And as they were living life in real time, like you and I are living life in real time, they also were wondering, what's happening? What's going to come of this? How will it end up? What's the end result? And now in the presence of God, they can say with absolute, if they were given, you know, where we learn in Hebrews later on that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, if they were given a voice into our lives, they would say, keep going. It's true. God is faithful. He'll keep his promises. I know it's foggy right now. You're not uncertain. But when you get into trouble, go to the place where people are worshiping and surround yourself with godly people and trust the promises of God. Now, someone, someone, wants prom someone went through and spent a tremendous amount of time counting up the promises of God. And one person came up with 7,800 plus promises of God, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm sure if he went back to recount, he probably would come up with more and come up with more. But the real question is, how many promises of God in your life and mine do you really need to carry on? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness in your life. Just the very fact that you are born again proves the existence of God. <laughs> Just the fact that your life's been redeemed, that you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That you can trust him with your salvation. That what he's begun in your life, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That he's going to perfect that which concerns us. That, that Salvation is on, isn't on your shoulders so that you continue in good works. But it's his good work and his faithfulness. It's not you. Can you imagine if salvation was dependent upon you and me and my good works? How many times would we go in and out of salvation in a day, in a minute, in an hour? But see, God, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. He comes to permanently indwell us. It's a seal that cannot be broken. It's a seal that God himself puts upon your life. Let me, let me show you something that's so encouraging. Would you turn over to Romans chapter 8? Because Paul was so caught up in this truth of the sufficiency of God and his assurance. Paul was assured of the finished work of Jesus Christ in his life. Even though what he was facing was testing him and taunting him and causing him to question, no doubt. But notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it's just such a great chapter he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Because we have this, verse 19, earnest expectation of the creation that eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 26, 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know how we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered. He searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Because whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's your destination. You're headed toward the image of Jesus Christ, the work of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And who, verse 35, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers nor things present nor things to come, height nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice, our Lord. Paul's writing to believers and saying, look, It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what you think, what trial you're going through. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God. And guess what? Any other created thing, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can just write your name right there because not even you can separate yourself from the love of God. He will complete what he finished in your life. He will do the work that he promised to do. And he will change us from the inside out so that our lives, they're lives of cooperation or obedience. Like two keys in our lives that truly help us along the path is surrender and obedience. Those two elements, as we cultivate them in our lives, our willing surrender to our loving God and our willing obedience to his will. Think about obedience for a second. When you want to do something, how much of an act of obedience really is that? Like when you want to do something, there is obedience involved. I understand that. But isn't a real effort of obedience when you don't want to do it? Similar to submission. Yes, there is submission. We voluntarily submit all the time. But isn't submission much more valuable when you don't want to submit? When you want to go your own way and do your own thing. But then the Bible says, no, no, no. Lives are lived in much more peace and joy when you choose submission. And you say, okay, Lord, I'll choose submission. But I don't want to choose submission, but I will choose submission because, God, that's your way. It's the same with obedience. Acts of obedience really come, I mean, they they magnify in our lives when we don't want to obey. (laughs) And we choose to do exactly what God tells us to do. Why? Because we surrender our wills to his. It's a beautiful work of the Spirit inside of us. Imagine some of the things that you have done and obeyed that you didn't want to do. And yet how blessed you were to obey the Lord, that he inspired you and you followed through 
and that cooperative effort. Hezekiah does the right thing here. He goes into the place where people are worshiping and he asks a man of God for help. And it's encouraging to me as I'm meditating on this message this last week. I've been thinking about this a lot in my life. And it would be well, maybe some of you will adopt this. But it came to me way back when we were studying through the Gospel of John, verse by verse. And we came to that place. Just jot it down. I'll read it to you. In John chapter 6, in verse 5, at the feeding of the thousands, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a multitude coming, a great multitude coming toward him. He turned to Philip and said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he asked him a question. What are we going to do to feed these guys? But the rest of verse 6 says, but this he said to test him. And here, listen to this. For he himself knew what he would do. And to me, that's greatly encouraging that God already knows what he's going to do. <laughs> he already knows. We may not know. Hezekiah is afraid. Assyria, the king of Assyria, these threatening words, they're coming to attack. What are we going to do? But God already knows what he's going to do. He's going to send a spirit. The king's going to hear a rumor, and he's going to fall by the sword. That's what's going to happen. And Hezekiah would have never learned that had he not asked. And had he not gone to the place of worship and asked the man of God. And so often, I just don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand what's happening around me. I don't have the kind of understanding that would give me some kind of peace of mind. Where is he taking me? Where does he want me? How does he want me to respond? What's this situation? How is it going to end? What's the end game? Why is he allowing this over here? Why is this guy doing that? Why is she saying that? All of these things that surround our lives. And yet, I can cling to the word of God. That God already knows what he's going to do in my life. He already knows how it's going to work out. He already knows what he's going to do in working all things together for the good in my life. He already knows. And I can trust the one that knows. You know, there's a saying, a real saying that's kind of become cliche, but I want, you to, I want you to always listen to the cliches because they actually have very powerful truth in them. But because they're cliches, we kind of ignore them. But there's this cliche, a Christian cliche that's out there that says, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. That's some powerful stuff right there. That's a powerful truth. Because Jesus already knows what he's going to do. In Hezekiah's day, God already knew what he was going to do. And in your life today, in the 21st century, with all that's swirling around your life, God already knows what he's going to do with you. He already knows. And it's already going to come to that perfect end of conforming you and me into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of how Paul was writing. If you would, I asked you to open to Philippians chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? I'm reminded in those times of anxiety and worry, in those times of great concern in our lives, in those times of small worries and concerns, that we would follow through with what the Holy Spirit wrote through Paul in chapter 4, verse 6. Hopefully you have this highlighted, maybe circled, but in Philippians, maybe memorized. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and whatever things are noble, and whatever things are just, and whatever things are pure, and whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And 
the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Focus your mind in the, toward the things of the Lord and focus your life toward the things of the Lord. A good word there for us as we close things out today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is nearing the end of our verse-by-verse study in 2 Kings. Don't forget, you can catch what you missed in the series online at calvaryaurora.org or listen through our app by searching for Calvary Aurora. Pastor Ed, today we learned what to do and where to turn when we're in a time of trouble or need. Like Hezekiah, we're to go to the house of worship and to men and women of God. I can't help but think someone listening right now is in a place like that. They're facing troubling circumstances or great difficulty and wondering what to do. Would you take a moment to speak a word of encouragement directly to them? You know, Larry, I love Hezekiah's example uh, as he comes to the Lord with this great concern. I've followed this biblical advice so many times And God has met me there as I lay a a letter or an email or a text or something that was posted online before the Lord for his wisdom and understanding and what to do. And God shows himself faithful. I have to say that I've also done the opposite. I've responded quickly. Uh, I've taken things into my own hands. I have crafted the perfect response and only to find out that that wasn't from the Lord. And so... I want to encourage you in your difficulty to go to the Lord. So how do you do that? Number one, get your Bible and open it. Uh, Open it to a place in the Gospels, perhaps. You know, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And just begin to read about Jesus. Those are life. Don't don't treat it like a self-help book, because it's not. Don't treat it like a cookbook or a recipe book. It's not. The Bible is God's life-giving words. It is the very Word of God. Your Bible in your hand doesn't contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. And as you read it, God is going to begin to use His Word to encourage you and infuse life to you. But He's also going to give you direction. James told us that if we lack wisdom, all we need to do is ask God. So number one, open the Bible. Number two, begin to talk to God. That We call that prayer. Just begin to talk to God and and be open to receiving from Him the insight that you need on this situation. And I know it might be hard to wait, but wait. Don't act hastily, especially under great stress, uh, great emotion. Don't make a decision that can't be unmade. So open your word, begin to pray, reach out to a godly brother or sister. That could be a friend, it could be a parent, it could be a pastor, it could be a small group leader, a worship leader, you know, someone that you trust in your life that's going to point you to the Lord. Don't go for a bunch of opinions. Uh, Be careful not to look for people that are just going to agree with you. You want to hear from the Lord. And so God has surrounded you with people, even if it's just one, that can speak the Word of God into your life or just pray with you if they don't know the answer. I know so many times somebody will come to me and ask for my advice or what, what, what should they do, and I have no idea. But I do know this. I can take you to the Lord, and we'll find out. And then finally, if you haven't been in church for a while, you've got to get back into fellowship. Uh, It's an important place where God's Word is taught, where God uses the music to minister and the words of the songs that they sing, and just be around believers. Uh, But I know that it's hard, and I'm sorry 
uh, that you're going through a real tough time right now. Um, I, I hear of so much that I wish sometimes I could just solve it for you, but God is using it. It's not wasted. And he's developing you into the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that he wants you to be. So trust him and turn to him. He's ready. That's very helpful. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Here in the month of April, we've picked out an excellent book written by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. Remember the old hymn, Just a Closer Walk with Thee? Maybe that's a desire of yours, but you're just not sure how to get there with God. Tozer sheds light on the path to a closer walk with God in the pursuit of God. It can become a reality in your life. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Don't miss our next study in the Word next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 